Hey, if you got a Bible, open up with me or click with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can just sit awkwardly while everybody else opens up. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. It's fine. We're going to put it here on screen for you. You don't have to worry about it. But uh, help me out with my sermon title is two words, but it's six syllables. So it's a little complicated. Uh, Just look at your neighbor, touch him, say, it's going to be all right. That's one word. That's one word. Say it again. It's going to be all right. going to be all right. It's going to be all right. We're going to endeavor this morning to read 30 verses within Scripture, but it's going to be all right because you just told me that, and so I'm happy that you're with me. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. I wish we had time to talk about how everything written in Scripture is written for a reason. And this isn't just a description of the decorations in the room for the designers in here this morning. This isn't an inventory of items to pick up at Ikea. I wish we had time to talk about how the bed represents the peace of God and, and the, uh, the chair represents the authority of God. I wish we had time to talk about how the the uh, table represents fellowship with God, and, and the lamp is the presence of God. God is the light of the world, but we ain't got time for all that. Uh, one day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to the upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my husband takes care of me. Uh, Later, Elisha asked to get, that's what you have to read between the lines to get that, but that's what she said. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, well, what can we do for her? Side note, men don't ever know what to get women. Okay, Uh, even when they hear from God, you know, so this Christmas, just give the guys a break, you know, just trying to tell you what the Bible says. Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. Oh no, my Lord, she cried. Oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at the time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, man, take this kid to his mom. Typical dad mood. I don't feel, boy, go tell your mother. I don't need to hear all this. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and the donkeys so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath, but she said, it's going to be all right. 
And he's like, do whatever you want, woman. Just take the donkey. I don't care what you do. So she saddled the donkey, said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with your husband, your kids, everything all right? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. A better translation would say, everything's gonna be fine. Once I talk to your boy, Elisha, it's gonna be fine. Uh, But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that? You might circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, that word, a hope. Uh, It's a big deal. We'll come back to that. Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. Okay. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you come with me. She said, don't send a stick and an intern to my son. I ain't going anywhere until you come with me. I like this woman. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him, uh, uh, that didn't work. The child, child's still dead. Mom's like, what'd he say? Not, nothing. It's going to be fine. He didn't say anything. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth. Things just got weird. His eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands, and he stretched out on him. The child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back across the room one time, then stretched himself out again on the child. This time, the Bible would like us to note that the child sneezed not once, not twice, not even thrice, seven times, and then opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said, and the woman came in. She said, woman, take your son. She felt his feet bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son downstairs. God, help us today understand your word. Do only what you can do. Open up our hearts. Open up our eyes. Give us ears to hear. Change lives today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this before where you just have uh, no idea what to do. You know something needs to be done, and so you just start trying stuff. This is pretty much the uh, definition of my home improvement capabilities. Uh, I know something needs to be done. I have no idea what that is, and so I just uh, start trying stuff. Uh, This past year when Laura and I were uh, getting ready to move into our house, we live out in the country, the house is serviced by a well, but we kept losing water pressure. Uh, Now, I am the one who installed the system. uh, Plumbing for a well is not super complicated. You need a pump and you need a pressure tank to 
you know, cause the pressure to get in through all your faucets and everything like that. So I went down to the Home Depot. I bought the pressure tank. I knew enough to say, you know what, we could probably use a filter in along with this. We don't need our kids drinking, you know, crazy water. And a softener would probably be a good idea as well. Hard water, you know, it tends to be when you take it out of the ground, it tends to be hard. The city water has all, you know, the, the capability to do that on their own. So I figured we might want to do that in our house. But um, we found out a couple months in, we'd be losing water pressure. You'd be in there taking a shower. You'd just get the shampoo in your hair and bzzz, no water pressure. So I knew something needed to be done. Uh, guys, does your wife ever look at you and in her eyes, you can just see the disappointment? You know, like, like her eyes almost say to you, you're the man here. Do something, you know. Sometimes my eyes ba- say back, am I, you know, am I really, because maybe you can figure this out too, but uh, I knew what I needed to do, and I, well, I, so I needed, knew something needed to be done. I really didn't know what I should do, though, so I just started uh, trying stuff. Did you try calling a plumber? No, okay. Did Elisha call another prophet? No. He went in, he shut the door, he started trying stuff. So that's what I did. I went down to the mechanical room, I shut the door, and I started trying stuff. Uh, behold before me a pressure tank, a filter, a water softener. I knew that we were having a pressure problems, so logic would suggest that it would be the pressure tank or the pressure gauge or something involved with that. And so I took my air compressor, I started adding pressure to the tank, and the pressure gauge never moved you know, quid pro quo, it must be a pressure gauge issue. So I began taking off the, the pressure gauge. Hindsight would suggest <laughs> you should depressurize <laughs> the pressure you just put into the tank. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. So I began removing the pressure gauge as I was nearing completion. Keep in mind, the pressure tank is there to force water out of wherever you open a, a, a valve. Uh, the pressure gauge would then be a valve when you start opening it. And so as I began nearing the end of my removing it, it literally shot out like a bullet. Uh, I had a rocket narrowly missing my face, shooting into the floor joists above me, and 86 gallons of water under 60 pounds of pressure began pouring out of the said hole. If you're not familiar with uh, plumbing components, your hot water tank's probably 40 gallons, so double that. This is what I'm facing. Within milliseconds, I'm completely soaked. These joists above me are soaked. The water is start, or the room is starting to fill up with water. So I did what any logical person would do, and I just clamped down <laughs> with my hand uh, on this pipe. Uh, that was doing nothing. Uh, I did not have my phone with me. The pressure gauge is out of reach, so I'm like on Twister trying to scoot this. You know, I'm in a predicament. I'm in a dilemma. Uh, the pressure under, you know, which the pipe is, is forced, I mean, it's causing pain in my hand uh, because I'm trying to squeeze so hard to get this water to stop shooting. Laura's not home. There's nobody that can help me. Um, this is where Elisha found himself. He was in a predicament. 
He was in a problem. He didn't know what to do, so he just started trying stuff. Uh, this is uh, similar to what most guys would do in any one of these situations. So uh, he first started out with a stick. So put the stick on the boy's face. Didn't work. He decided that he would then pray. Uh, didn't work. Then within, you know, somehow in his thought process, he decided, you know what would be a good idea? I'm going to lay mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand with this child and just see what happens. Now, in my occupation career as a pastor, we uh, get frequently called to, to pray for people in the hospital and, and they're in, in, in dire situations. And so, you know, I, I get that that comes kind of with the job and they ask us to come and pray for them and help and all that. Let me tell you something that's never crossed my mind. You know what I should probably do for this person right now? Lay on them face to face, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. The nurse would walk in and she'd be like, excuse me, sir. Don't worry, I'm a pastor. Uh, this, is what, this is what we do. We heal people. And she'd be like, that's kind of what I do too. You know, I'm, not, I'm just telling you, I'm not going down like that. You know, so I would go visit the mother and be like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but your son's gone. You know, uh, she, did you try the face-to-face thing? No, I ain't doing that. No, that's, you, you all can go try that. But uh, jot this down if you're taking notes. Just because God has given you responsibility doesn't mean he's given you control. God gave Elisha the responsibility to perform this miracle, but he was not the controller of the miracle. We know that because of how many times he tried to do something and it didn't work. Just a reminder for Elisha that the power isn't in him. Uh, The power is in God. He tries four things, nothing works. Only on the fifth try... Does life get restored back into the boy? It's an interesting side note that within the Bible, the number five is commonly referred to as the number of grace. Uh, This is God's favor uh, out on humanity. People way smarter than me point back to like the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. They say this is God's grace given to humanity of him revealing himself to us and him giving us a law so we know uh, what's right and wrong The Ten Commandments, the first five, are about the relationship with God. The second five are the relationship with each other. And and people will say, again, this is God's grace. This is God's favor pointing uh, to us to tell us what is uh, right and what's wrong. And uh, just because uh, he's given you some responsibility doesn't mean he's given you control. God's grace is given to us in responsibility, um, but it's not necessarily in control. What are you trying to control in your life right now? I wonder if you could answer that in your own mind and think, maybe God's just given me responsibility for this, but he hasn't actually given me control. Uh, I want you to think about something else, too, within this story. Um, Elisha is the conduit for the change, uh, but who was the advocate of the change? It was the, the mother, right? The Shunammite woman. She was the one with all of the faith. And she was the one that wasn't going to let her circumstances define her destiny. You know, picture the scene with me that 
her son is out in the field. She probably packed up the guys' lunch for him and, you know, hurried them off. And this might have been the first time the son had ever went out to the fields to help with the harvest. And so she was excited. She got to stay home and do some of her errands around the house and get some laundry done and, you know, watch the chew and uh, just do some cooking shows and Eventually, though, a servant brings the son home and say, he, he, there's something wrong. We're, we're not sure what he is. He's complaining about his head. So she, she picks up her son and, and cradles him as a mother would do and probably went and got the cold washcloth and, and started wiping him down and rocking with him in the chair, probably pleading, praying with God, hey, God, you know, make, make sure my son is okay. We're not sure what's wrong. You can't tell us what's wrong. And for whatever reason, that prayer went unanswered and the child died. And she did what we read she did. She picks up her son, carries him upstairs, sets him down in the prophet's bed where nobody would find him, and goes to her husband and say, I've got some errands that I need to run. And when I was reading through all of this, I began thinking about, man, what incredible faith this woman had. Uh, I think that's one of the themes within the story, the faith that this mother possessed to, to go to the man of God, and I was kind of researching what faith is in the Bible, and one of my all-time favorite passages within Scripture is Hebrews 11, and uh, the heading within my Bible says, Faith in Action, so I just started rereading some of that, and it's an amazing Scripture. It talks about kind of the patriarchs of the faith, guys like Abraham and Noah, and how by faith they routed armies and by faith, they shut the mouths of lions. And by faith, they walked through fire. And I was like, man, that's so awesome. I wish, you know, that's kind of my story. I hope to be able to shut the mouths of lions and rout armies and do all this through faith. But then there's this really weird uh, verse right after. Oh, it talks about all this stuff. Hebrews 11.35 says, By faith, women receive back their dead, resurrected to life. I thought, well, that's kind of weird, and I I looked down in my study notes, and and it points me back to this this story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, and it points back to another uh, story of the widow uh, of Zarephath, and uh, I began thinking, well, I wonder how many other stories... I don't know how your mind works, but I was just curious. I wonder how many other stories are uh, when people are raised from the dead, it's women who receive them back. And there's a story in like Luke 7, the widow of, of Nain, she receives back her dead. And uh, Acts 9, a, a, a gal named Dorcas, which if you're pregnant, that name's still available. You can use that um, for yourself. But Dorcas is received back to uh, her friends, uh, 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 raised to life. And uh, obviously we know about uh, Jesus raising from the dead. Well, who was the first person uh, that, that saw Jesus? It was a woman. And, and Lazarus, Lazarus rose from the dead. He, he got restored back to his sister. So, you know, very often it's women who are received, uh, who receive back the dead. And if I could push you a little further on this, you talk about angels as well. More often than not, when, when angels show up in Scripture, people fall down on their face in fear and uh, want to, to, to not even look at the angel. But we see a passage when Mary shows up, when Jesus has died, and she shows up to the tomb, and there's an angel there, and she doesn't fall down in fear. She begins a conversation with the, with the angel and is asking him what, what they do with Jesus' body, and she encounters Jesus. She thinks it's just a gardener. Turns out he was a grave robber. Uh, and she asks, you know, him, where's, where's the body? And uh, she was never fearful. And, and my, the question I, uh, I'm kind of driving at here is, was, was this just by accident? 
You know, of the the ten times that we have recorded for us in the history of the world, recorded in the Bible, of God raising somebody from the dead, nine of those are women who receive back the dead. I, I started wondering, well, is this just a coincidence? Does this happen by accident that it's women who have the faith? It's women who get to see the dead. So again, I, I'm, I'm just very curious. I just started wondering, well, I wonder if women see things differently. And I, I knew that they did. You know, me and my wife, we never see things the same. So I was just like, well, of course, women see things differently. But then I found out that uh, a 2012 study found that women actually see legitimate things differently, specifically the colors red, blue, and yellow. They see them differently. They see them more often. They see them with more vibrancy. They see them more frequently according to this scientific record. And so then I was wondering, well, what's red, blue, and yellow have to do with anything? Turns out colors affect your mood. You might be interested to know that the color red affects empathy. The color blue, it affects uh, how, I wrote it down, I forgot, but blue affects calmness and yellow affects energy. And so we have this woman here who's, who's seeing all of these things differently and and people say that your perception is your reality and uh, what I believe too is that you know God the way he allows you to see some things it absolutely does determine your reality you know magicians rely on this they expect you to see things their way in order to you know help help the the magic trick work so uh, what I want you to do is not miss the real miracle uh, within all this. It was this woman's faith. It was how she saw life. There was no resurrection without this woman because her outlook was correct. Her outcome changed. And what's that mean for your life? Well, your perception of God is a reflection of your reality with God. Your uh, perception of God is a reflection of your reality with God. So you might ask yourself, what's my perception of God? Uh, is he, you know, just keeping me from things? You know, is he just a chore that I have to, you know, do on the weekend? Is he cramping your style? Is he supposed to be kind of like a genie just to give you whatever you want? Is this your perception of God. The reason I ask that is because I believe most of the trouble in your life is a perception of God a problem. Uh, it's, it's your perception of him, whether or not he could move on your behalf or uh, get, your, uh, get your hopes up for something like this woman had happened to her. Uh, it's actually why I had you circle that, that word hope, because this is really, if we want to define what this woman had and her perception of God, she had hope. She believed uh, in things. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time together is actually look at this word hope as an acronym and show how it's actually some characteristics that this woman possessed that helped her see her son raised to life again and, and how that might relate in your life as how you can be raised to life again if you have hope. Uh, so here's H, hospitality. This woman had the characteristic of being hospitable. She prepared a room for the prophet. She had him into her home for a meal. Anytime the prophet would come by, uh, he would go get another meal. She must have been a fantastic cook. 
Uh, in the evenings when he would retire up to the room, she always ensured that there was a bowl of trail mix there and she carefully picked out the raisins uh, because raisins are just the worst, aren't they? You know, if you eat raisins, you've pretty much just given up on life. Right? So just terrible. But she ensured that the prophet was taken care of and as he would leave out onto his, his trip, she would pack up some monster cookies and she was just always being very hospitable. And here's what the Bible says about being hospitable. First Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What happens when you use this gift of hospitality? Apparently, it restores life to people. It gives them joy. It allows them uh, to see God moving through you. In God's providence, I've had an opportunity to travel to a few different countries and, you know, literally meet hundreds of different people. And here's something that's never happened to me. Here's something nobody's ever said to me. You know what I just hate? Being served. I, it's just the worst. Be, having somebody serve me and care for me and love me and be hospitable towards me, I just hate that. You know, if somebody would serve me supper right now, I would slap them right in the face. Like, I've never had that conversation with anyone. Now, if they tried to serve you raisin cookies or something, I could totally understand slapping, you know, because neither one of you are being hospitable at that point. Uh, so, uh, but that's just never happened, happened to me. And, and God clearly says that hospitality is something that you should have in your life. You know, uh, what she cared about was what the prophet cared about. And she served him without grumbling and it encouraged him. It put life into him. Again, the same thing can happen to you and the people in your life if you will serve them and care for them. Uh, what else? Oh, obstinate. She was obstinate. Wait, I'm married, Pastor. Don't you take this away from me. That's abstinent. Okay, that's different. This is obstinate. Uh, obstinate means uh, that, you're, uh, not, that you're stubborn, you're unyielding, you're persistent. You will never give up. Oh, we see that with this woman. Galatians 6, 9 records it like this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, we are a fighting religion. We are a spiritually stubborn people. We look at injustice. We look at sickness. We look at problems in this world. We look at uh, orphans and widows and we say, no, God hates this. And he's created me. And so I'm going to do something about the problems that I'm seeing in the world. Obstinance ensures that orphans are cared for and widows are taken care of and sicknesses are are eradicated and financial problems are overcome and, and marriages are restored and addictions are conquered and obstinance means I, I'm fighting for what's best in my life. Um, I'm going to allow God to use me to make the lives of people around me better. I'm going to resurrect Life. This is hope. This is uh, hospitality. This is obstinance. This is God glorified by us being more than conquerors through Christ. Oh, what else? P, <clears throat> prepared. This woman was prepared. She prepared a room for the prophet. 
prophet. She prepared a game plan for when things went wrong. She knew what she was going to do with, with leaving her son in this room and, and going to see the prophets. And uh, she knew nothing was magical was going to happen within the room, but she didn't you know, want somebody to stumble upon a, a dead child while she was gone. And, and she was prepared to do whatever it took to get the prophet to come back with her. It's like the old saying goes, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 records it like this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. What I love about this story and what I love about the fact that just because God has given you responsibility doesn't mean he's given you control. And this idea of preparedness and God is the one who establishes your steps, it takes the pressure off of you. Uh, Like, you don't have to perform at a certain level because God is the one who's responsible for that. Your job is obedience. God's job is the outcome. And so, uh, I wonder, have you made preparations for God in your life? Have you prepared a room for God in your life? God's primary way of moving in the world is moving through other people. So, have you prepared a place for the people of God in your life? Are you surrounding yourself with with people who love God and love you and and serve you and you serve them and you try and outdo one another with honor? And uh, this is what we see with this woman. Uh, If all you're doing in life is just trying to grab hold of everything and cling on tight to everything so you don't lose anything, well then how is God supposed to bless you? You have no hands to receive the blessing God wants to give to you. You're not prepared. We're called to live our life open-handedly. That God gave you your family to steward well, and, but at the end of the day, it's his. And God gives you money. All good gifts come from God. He gives you these things that you're supposed to have with open hands so that you can give them away, but also receive the blessing God wants to give you. <clears throat> Are you still with me this morning? This is hope. This is hope that we have. E, expectant. We live expectantly. Are you expecting God to do a miracle in your life? Um, I'll ask it this way. Does your belief die when you don't get the results you desire? You know, your theology can't change based on your experience. Just because you don't get something you've prayed to God for doesn't mean God isn't for you. I'm sure this woman prayed for her son, And for whatever reason, God didn't answer that prayer. But she expectantly went to someone who she believed could help her. So I didn't ask for this, Elisha. Now do something about it. I like that attitude. And I think God likes that attitude as well. I can remember the day that Laura called me in my office. She was 10 weeks pregnant and at the, at the checkup. And uh, they were looking at some things. And she called and said, they can't find a heartbeat. They're going to take me back to, to do a sonogram. And so uh, I began praying that God, no, find this heartbeat. And for whatever reason, God didn't answer that prayer. And the next day when they did a second sonogram to, to look to see if they find the baby before you know, they, they surgically removed it again. I knew this story. I prayed. I said, God, you can raise the dead. You'll be glorified. And for whatever reason, <clears throat> God didn't answer that prayer. But my role's not healer. My role is believer. And this is the hope that we have. 
to be expectant for God to do something on our behalf in the future. Amen, somebody. That the dead are raised to life. See, this is the the role that you're supposed to be playing. Raising people to life around you. This is what I want our church to be, a life-giving place. This is what I think God wants his church to be. We have the greatest news in the history of the world. That God wants to move in your life, that he's made a way for you to be forgiven of your sin, for life to be restored to you. But you have to have hope. I hope you can pick out one of these characteristics of this woman uh, to work on this week. Whether it be hospitality or a stubborn, unyielding spirit for God, not in a way that serves you, but in a way that serves others and in obstinance. And if you're prepared to, to do life, you've prepared a place for God in your life. You've prepared uh, a place for people to come and be served. And if you're living expectantly uh, for energy and joy and life and, and for people to, to see a move of God through you because of what he's done for you, this is what this is what God wants in your life. So I'll close like this. Our God is not a no-show. Our God is a stand-in. The reason this story is so weird, again, is because of what Elisha decides that he needs to do, which is lay on this child. And again, eye to eye, face to face. Why does he do that? Why is this story recorded in that way? Well, the reason uh, I believe that uh, Elisha decided this is the way he needed to, to, to be responsible for this miracle is because as God looked down from heaven, all he saw was Elisha laying down with his hands spread out. He didn't see the death of the boy below Elisha. Elisha was bridging the gap of life and death uh, from God. This is the same thing that Jesus does for us. He bridges the gap of life. He raises his hands out for us. He dies the death that was meant for us because sin leads to death. And so when God looks down on us, he sees Jesus spread out on us, bridging the gap between death and life. We were dead in our trespasses, but God has raised us to life. Colossians 3, 3 records it like this. You're dead to the things of this world now because your new life is hidden through God, in God, through Christ. This is the message of the Bible, that through Christ, our sickness, our uh, sin, all of that is hidden. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You haven't done anything in this world that God can't forgive, that the, the arms of Christ haven't covered. But there's also none of us so good that we don't need forgiveness. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just ask God to uh, in, invite him into this place. God, again, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here. We're amazed by these stories in Scripture where you do miracles. And God, I just believe that there's people here today that could use a move from you, a miracle. God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do and, and speak to each individual life right now. Allow them to analyze their own heart. Encourage them if they're doing a good job. Help them discover where else they can uh, draw closer uh, 
to you. But it can be well in our souls because of the power of your son Jesus and his Holy Spirit. As you continue to pray and just kind of reflect in your heart, I know there's people who probably haven't made the initial preparations for a move of God by asking God to to live in their life, to save them from their sins. And so I want to give you a chance to do that right now. If you're here this morning and and haven't really committed a life to God, if there's no evidence of God in your life, I want to give you a chance to, to make preparations for God. Just in your heart, say, God, I believe in the power of Jesus. I believe he died and rose from the dead. And because of that, you see him in my life. I'm sorry I've sinned. Sorry I haven't lived the way you've asked me to. Help me live for you. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for the promise that we can harness that power in our lives today. I ask you to move in the hearts of everybody this morning. Bring life into their spirit. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.